got two special guests tonight. Hey, everybody. <laughs> that is Gary Smith. Hello there. That is Kaz Kenny. Kapow! <laughs> That's hey, not Kaz. You know, Kaz, <laughs> you are what you eat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I am Eddie Bramble, and this is episode 42 of the Blackwater's Edge podcast. Um, well, Kaz isn't going to start us off with this week's fish report. He's gonna, he's out this week. Uh, he has actually uh, been in close contact with somebody with coronavirus, so he's sitting this one out and, and awaiting his test results. Quarantine. But, yeah, that's right. He's quarantined this week. But, uh, but yeah, so no fish report this week, but, uh, but we're going to trudge on without Kaz. So, but this week, we're going to jump right into our special guest this week. So we've got Doug Wheatfield here. Doug, how are you doing this week? That's a matter of opinion. <laughs> if I had something new happen this week. Yeah. My old kidney stone seemed to have acted up. Ah. And I spent uh, spent some time in pain this past week. So anyways. That'll knock anybody down. If, if you see me jump up and run out, I'm headed to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I stay here, I'm good. <laughs> That's right. So ho- hopefully no, no jumping up this week. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Uh, oh man! So, uh, for anybody who doesn't doesn't know who you are, why don't you just give a, a brief background of, of who you, who you are and how you got into sick of here? Well, man, that's a long story, or it could be a short story. Uh, <laughs> we'll take the middle ground to try to make to try to make it short. Uh, uh, just an old regular guy that was born and raised up in Western Maryland, and uh, decided early on when someone said, "What do you want to do for a living?" want to be a wildlife biologist well i hung right in there and and uh uh, went to school eastern kentucky university and got my degree and and uh ended up coming back to good old maryland and uh it was it was tough getting a job but i hung right in there and and uh, got a job as a wildlife biologist so so down to the shore i came from western maryland and uh i've been here ever since and uh i guess I guess one of the main things that uh, got me interested with Sika deer, besides that critter being here, right. where I was at, was the fact that up in Western Maryland, I I seem to have liked to hunt critters that I could call to. And if if, if it wasn't a squirrel and pushing the old bellows or or uh, puddle ducks on the on the Potomac River and stuff. Um, it was turkeys, and that's where I really fell in love with really? the with the wild turkey. But coming down here, all of a sudden, what did we have here? But Sika deer, and what are they? Our most vocal deer. That's it. They, they are. They they can they can talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and wow, did I get excited when that happened! So, anyways, that's how I got interested in vocal uh, in uh, the vocal Sika deer. Being a wildlife biologist, wearing that hat, and also being wearing the hat of a hunter, and uh, and uh, getting into Sika hunting, and part of that for me, like I just said, was was calling the vocalization. When, and when they decided that they wanted to uh, respond to that call, that excited me. So, uh, of course, turkeys didn't have many of them here back then. That's now right. there are, but but back then there weren't many. That's right, and and uh, I guess that's one advantage for being an old dude like myself working for DNR way back when. I was the first biologist here on the eastern shore that released wild turkeys on the eastern shore. 
and we started in in Somerset County and moved to Wacomico and Worcester County and Dorchester County and right on that. up. I didn't realize you were involved in that too. So well, you guys got busted. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in a deer stand. There's your man right there. <laughs> He's the one that turned them loose. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I, I saw where Kaz put something on there about if someone can guess uh, what Doug's favorite animal is, and everyone was going to say the Sika deer, and uh, it was a, it was a wild turkey. And the first guy that got on there said, "Wild turkey." <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, uh, yeah, love love the uh, wild turkey. And there, there again, there's another critter that you can uh, you can vocalize really to, talk to and have yeah. a good time with. So that's how you really got started into creating the Sika seducer was because of your love for that vocalization of, of the animals. It really was, and what happened uh, way back when. DNR realized, hey, we we have a Sika deer here, and it can cause problems and is causing problems for farmers and stuff, and we we need to pay attention to that type of thing. But then, and I forget what year it was, but there was sort of a sort of a change in attitude in that, hey, we've got a pretty neat critter here. And maybe if someone's going to come here, maybe we ought to tell them about this critter. And uh, they they found old old Doug Wigfield wasn't afraid to uh, put together a PowerPoint program. And I went around and did PowerPoint programs about Sika deer, life history, habits, habitat, all that kind of stuff. And uh, did that in a number of places. And then uh, DNR thought that was good enough over two years or whatever. Uh, that was good, and um, during that time, I had found out about uh, vocalizations, and I made sure it was all right, but I wanted to continue to do that, except I turned them into seek a deer hunting seminars and programs, and there I went around to different places like Bass Pro and Cabela's and those kind of places doing seminars, and uh, it was there with my love of calling that I would always take a, take a piece of that seminar out and say, Hey, these guys are vocal deer and they respond to vocalizations and maybe you should have and utilize uh, callers in your bag of tricks for Sika hunting. And at that time there weren't any, there weren't any callers except the old hoochie mamas. Right. And I had that. And of course I'd, I'd hoochie mama a couple times and I had a diaphragm, of course, being a turkey hunter, and I'd, I'd call using a diaphragm and could bugle with it and the whole bit and uh, encourage people to try calling because it does work. Does it work all the time? No. Heavens, no. Doesn't no. work all the time. I've never seen a hunting tactic that does. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. And uh, I encourage people to do that. And people that would come up to me afterwards and talk about it, uh, they would say thanks for the encouragement, and that's this is after they came back the second year and said, "But we never did anything. You need to make one." And it wasn't till about uh, you know three or four years of being told, "Hey, you need to make one." I started thinking about it, and I didn't have that kind of ability, but I thought I have the I have the wherewithal to try to pull together that kind of ability, and uh, that's that's where I. Uh, came up with the Sika Seducer idea and uh, the one call that would solve uh, or help with all uh, Sika hunting. 
So what what year was that exactly when you started making the sick seducer? Um gosh. My brain, um two thousand four. Two thousand four, okay. I yeah. thought it was earlier than that. I think it was two thousand and four. I had the idea and talked about it before that, but I didn't actually come out well, I think the first one about that. in two thousand four. So it's been a while. Yeah, uh, Sweet 16. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's been a while. I, th- I think it was the first Seeker call out that I that I knew, I knew of or ever heard of one. It, it's uh, it's yeah. the only one I knew of until just recently, probably in the past three or four years that I can think of where other people started making them as well. I think there are four or five other people that have started producing or making some sort of mm-hmm. some sort of a call, not necessarily sedu- seducer-like, right. but it, it could do um, – uh, some of the calls really good and some not really good. And and uh, just like the seducer, you just couldn't make a call that would do it all perfectly. Right. You know, uh, I think, and we were talking about this before the show, there, there's a place for all of these calls in everybody's arsenal. It's not just the six, six seducers, the end-all, be-all. That's but, right. But, we, I mean, yours definitely takes care of the from top to bottom. But it takes a lot more practice than, than what other ones call. It does. Uh, because because it's an open read call, it does take practice in doing that. So, you know, if if uh, someone comes in here in the morning before it gets light and they're going hunting at Blackwater, just point them at the hoochie mama That's and right. say, here, <laughs> here you go, because all you have to do is have control over your thumb. Uh, 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 you know? But uh, for if, someone, if not, that, we'll note her out there. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, that all of the calls uh, work. Uh, I haven't tried them all, but I'm sure all of the calls work, and some work in a particular area that another doesn't. And again, they don't all work, and uh, you know, some are not for everyone because That's right. there there are people. Uh, at, even like myself, I can say myself now, I have a uh, I have a bone problem in my mouth, and the bone structure in my mouth has changed over all these years to where I used to be able to operate a diaphragm, and I was I was great for turkey hunting and using a diaphragm, and now the structure in my mouth is such I can't use a diaphragm anymore. How about that? So for those who use a diaphragm for calling seekers. That works great, but it's not it's not for everyone. Uh, otherwise, I'd still be I'd still be using the diaphragm, That's right. not in place of the seeker <laughs> seducer, but I would be using it in certain situations. Yeah. yeah. So we we all know about the six seducer, <laughs> but so but before we get too far into that, let's let's talk about your earlier life. What, what was uh what, what was Doug doing when, when before he was a wildlife biologist? What what what, what were some of the things you enjoyed doing? Before I was a wildlife biologist, well, uh, running in school, I was I was uh, uh, certainly into playing baseball. But uh, oh yeah, but I think like a lot of a lot of athletes that weren't the super 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 athlete, the girls didn't draw them away from <laughs> from the baseball. I was able to be drawn away from that so right. I, I was uh doing the doing the typical uh chasing and stuff but i enjoyed uh i enjoyed uh, shooting yeah. my dad got me into the shooting sports very early and it was it was competition shooting and uh and uh that's what he enjoyed doing and uh he got me into that and then as i became older when i was old enough 
to hold a handgun. Mm-hmm. And he started grooming me and and uh, shooting a handgun. Did, did you participate in competition shooting? I, I did participate in competition and went right along with uh, uh, when when other kids were going with their dads in a bowling league. Right, I was in a handgun shooting. Oh, league. that's fantastic! And we traveled all over Pennsylvania shooting um, the whole winter season. And uh, dad dad was a law enforcement officer, and he was really big into. Uh, competition shooting with handguns and his department supported that uh, so that's how he was into it that's how he got me into it and uh, I ended up uh, when I got into uh, when I got into the service I found a unit when I moved from Kentucky moved back here I found a unit uh, in Pennsylvania that was that was really big into competition uh, shooting and uh, I was able to uh, pick up the old uh, old handgun shooting, and I went back into a uh, competition with the, in the army, and uh, continued that until uh, we moved down here, and, and that was sort of the end of that. And I got out of the competition, but I still love to hunt. Oh yeah, with a handgun. Well, that's fantastic. I had no yeah. idea you were in the competition shooting. Yeah, that, that, that's really. Yeah, yeah. Do you fish at all? Love to fish. Okay. Love to fish. Go. But uh, Kaz, <laughs> put I your can't. hand over your ears, Kaz. <laughs> Sorry, uh, buddy. He's not going. <laughs> Sorry, Kaz. As much he didn't as, say anything about eating. <laughs> as much as I love to fish, I'm a largemouth bass fisherman and, uh, and still largemouth bass fish to this day. But I've never. Kaz, put your head, hands on your ears. I have never fished for mr kaz over there yeah, and i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah, we're gonna put you on some really soon here this probably this yeah. spring we'll, we'll, we'll once, change that once you do i'm retired i'll 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 be one of those that uh, camps out <laughs> <laughs> there, there's plenty doing that already that's for sure <laughs> oh but so so you were into competition shooting when you're younger and then, then you went off to college well you said you were in the service before did you go into service before or after college they, it was towards the end of Vietnam, okay. and I was allowed to complete my degree. Once I completed my degree, within a week, I had a letter that says, uh, You belong to us now. <laughs> you are going to belong to us in 30 days. And it was, I was, I was fortunate. I, I would serve my country no matter what, even to this day. Right. But I was fortunate in that it was at the end of Vietnam and I was able to get into an Army Reserve unit because at, I had thoughts of continuing to get my master's degree, and I thought maybe I could do that. I got into the Army Reserve, and I ended up spending nine years. I was never able to or didn't. I shouldn't say wasn't able. I didn't make the choice to go back and to get my master's degree, and I moved here and, and spent nine years uh, in the Army Reserve, That's the National Guard. And then, so, you you finished your service with the National Guard, and then you became a wildlife biologist here on the Eastern Shore. And I did. And so, what, what, what year was that? 
74. 74. Long time ago. Long time. 34 <laughs> and a half years. Yeah. And, uh, and you and did retired. That, did that until 2009, you said? 2009. That's fantastic. I, that should work out to about that. Close enough. And if it doesn't work out, <laughs> if it doesn't work out to 34 and we're a half no, years, we're not fact checking. That's right. I, I can blame it on being 71. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All right. So now, now we got a little bit more of your background here. Let's get right back to the secular seducer. <laughs> So I think we've already had some comments here of people asking to hear it. So do you, you want to give everybody a quick blow on that? Well, we can, we can certainly, uh, we can certainly do that. Let me push this away. What, what I'll do first here is, is the bugle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's what, that's what uh, most people know about, uh, here in the Seeker Seducer is the bugle. So I'm not, I'm going to be hearing this through here, but I hope it sounds right. sounds like it's cutting out yeah i think it might be a little bit too high pitched for it okay That's, let me try and try another one yeah there yeah that was much better okay yeah. that's a that's a pure a pure bugle and of, of course for people that are out there and have hunted them a lot they're saying, well, not of them, not all of them sound that pure and right. high pitched and everything. And uh, bugles are like voices with people, mm-hmm. and uh, some of them have the growling, that that hollow sort of growl that goes into it before the bugle, and some of them have that same growling coming out of the bugle, and uh, even. Uh, you know, it it, uh, go, it goes on. Wave growl, <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes uh, you wonder whether uh, that's your stomach growl. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, you but, can almost feel it if you're close. It's oh, yeah. strange. Yeah, you, yeah, but you really can. Uh, that that hollow sound is it's kind of a neat sound. And one of the things I found out, especially now with everyone, it seems like everyone except me enjoying going out and filming your own hunts most and i used to think a lot and until i watched them bugling that it's not always the older stag that gives that low growl or that that uh, hollow sound when they're bugling because now with all the video and going on there are there's good footage of seekers out there bugling and uh, here's here's a little fork that's is two and a half year old that just <laughs> turned into a fork, and he's out there bugling with the best of them. And you're going, wow, that's that could have been sounded like, man, that could have been a nice uh, mature six or an eight or something. And uh, here he is, just just uh, just got into two and a half years old, and he's bugling with the best of them. So they not they don't always sound right. Exactly like you think they're going to sound, but that growling is. Uh, oh yeah, that's that's when, pretty neat. When they're right on top of you, and, and and it's funny when you can't see them, and and they're right on top of you, you don't even know it yet, and then all of a sudden you hear that that grumble right before right before they bugle. Yeah, it is. It just makes the hair stand up on the yeah. back of your neck. It really does. And then of course the the growling, the real growling that we talk about, uh, that all all of us that like to hunt them. Uh, know about is is just the pure growling where there's right. no bugle associated with and they're just they're just going through growling and uh 
um, that that's a completely unique sound and and I always say people ought to be making that with their voices right because that's the best way to do it and you can imagine over all these years with seek a seducer i've been I've had uh, loads of phone calls wanting to order seek a seducers and stuff and does your secret seducer make this sound and this sound? And I would say, well, not the growl. The growl you need to do with your own voice. And I had I had a, a an acquaintance call one time, and he was talking about the growl. And he goes, Doug, you were in college, weren't you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, do you remember when you used to go out and drink too much? Do you remember <laughs> some people used to talk about hugging the white porcelain bus? Meaning hanging on to oh, yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> well, the yard. <laughs> he said, that's exactly what they sound like. And you know what? That's I funny. chuckled after I did that. And I thought, you are exactly right. Everybody so, remembers those days. That's for sure. <laughs> and, for those, and for those maybe listening that have never heard one growling, uh, you want me to do a growl? Yeah, absolutely. This is a typical growl. <laughs> Yep. That's it. Plain and simple. Were you hunting down Lakesville last week? <laughs> that was me. Oh, no. Every, everyone blames me for being the seeker seducer. Now I'm the growler. <laughs> what's, the, what's the weirdest sound that you've ever heard one make? The weirdest sound? Um, heard one barking an actual barking sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had to do that by. Uh, using uh, earphones, and uh, you know, I'm I'm all the time experimenting or seeing what's going on and stuff. And I had occasion I had my uh, I had my earphones that I could turn on and off when I was shooting, and it would cancel out. Well, I had those out one time, and I thought I'm gonna put those on, you know, and listen. So I was out in the marsh and listening, and I turned those things on, and I heard sounds that I had never heard before. And I know they were Sika because they were right in front of me, and I'd take the earphones off real quick, and I couldn't hear anything. And I put the earphones back on, and I could hear them. And they were sounds that were not very—they weren't discernible uh, at a very far range. How about that, they were some really strange sounds. I heard—I heard the barking sound, and that was one of the strangest I've ever heard. I've heard that you know, there's a lot of whines and whistles and stuff mm-hmm. that you don't normally hear. How about you? I, I had. Um... Two years ago, I was I was hunting and and I had one probably three hundred yards from a bugle, and I bugled back to him, and I just one you know or three times and I just sat there, and and where I hunt it's like a hole, and it's open, and it's fragment is real heavy all the way around it, right, and this one I heard him coming in, and he, and he come in fast. I thought man this this is gonna be good, and he it, apparently it was a young one. I never got to see him, but he was wanting. Like a dog trying to find a bird in in, in Fragmodus. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. just going around and around. It's like okay. he knew he was there, How about but, he, that? but he couldn't find him. And, and, and but he wouldn't step out in that yeah. hole. He was smart enough not to come out yeah. of that hole. But he, right. he was just going around, just just rooting almost and, right. and, and grunting. It was really really weird to hear that. I, only time I've ever heard it. But uh, yeah, and, and sniffing. You know, he was real sniffing hard. That's funny. How about that? I've, yeah. ne- I've never heard that. Yeah, like, that's... like almost like a dog just sniffing yeah, on a trail. <laughs> you know, and then he stopped. 
like that just just kept doing it. I, you know, first when I first heard, I thought it was a dog, but it was clear it was you know it was a deer. But he was he was trying to find that stag. That's wild stuff. Mm. Well, sometimes uh, you enjoy that type of thing. Sometimes get yourself a pair of earphones that you can adjust. And uh, did I say microphone before? Uh, I, I knew we earphones. Said that. Yep. Yeah, the ones that you earphones that adjust the volume adjust. Take those out and listen sometimes. It's it's amazing. It's actually, uh, uh, Dad, he's kind of hard of hearing sometimes, and he was wearing those when we were out shooting one time, right. and, and he turned us up a little bit too much. And it was funny because I scratched my, my jeans. He's like, and just just yeah. jumped a little bit because he, he hadn't heard that in a couple of years. It's the first time he heard somebody. It's like, you know how that sound makes when right. you scratch your jeans. You see a parabolic dish out on my... <laughs> <laughs> going back and forth like radar. Right. <laughs> but it, it, it is amazing about yeah. those, those adjustable uh, headphones what you really can hear with those yeah. things it makes a big difference yeah. people don't realize so uh so what are some other inside tips that you can give us about sick of deer inside tips. <laughs> i'll put you on the spot well i've i i don't know is that i've ever had any inside tips in fact that's that's why I was always uh, wanting to do uh, seminars and just try to try to give out as much information right. as I could, yep. and that's why. Um, uh, and here, uh, it's it's a little bit more publicity that maybe is good or not good at this time. But uh, uh, the Wildlife Advantage site on Facebook, if uh, if you go to that uh, site, I've been writing an article. Uh, probably once a week now for probably about the last 12 or 14 weeks. And there's a lot of good information on there that maybe, uh, and I I said in the original article, for newbies as well as uh, some of us old hands may learn something as well because uh, every time I go out in that marsh or I talk to someone else that's a seeker hunter, I keep my ears open because I learn something I didn't know. I think, and, I think that's a key that a lot of hunters don't realize. That if if you're not constantly learning, you're, you're falling behind in the game. That's right. Well, so, and the deer learn. That's, that's exactly yeah, exactly. Yeah. They learn too much, really. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like fishing. I mean, it, when you when you throw that same fish back so many times, he's going to know not to bite that hook anymore. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> so, what about longevity? Long, longevity. That That is interesting, and we've, we found out that Sika uh, deer have a long life, a lot longer than uh, whitetails, and uh, and uh, we've been finding finding that out even more and more with the website that allows people to send in and have the teeth um, aged under uh, according to the cementum annuli method of having them aged, and it turns out that uh, we found out that. Many of them are very long-lived. The only other way we would know is if, uh, um, like, do, like doing the um, research that we did and putting tags in their right. ears, and then someone uh, shooting one of those animals 15 years later, instead of going, oh, I'm surprised we got a tag back 15 years later, well, it turns out that uh, that was it. that was one of the other ways that uh, we would know that they were long lived. But uh, but uh, uh, there's there's one other way, and of course, when we talked about research, there's there's a lot of research that is being done with seekers now. 
from University of Delaware. Okay. And uh, with the research that they're doing, they are out trapping seekers uh, to gain information as well. And this is kind of an interesting story. Uh, I know I've told it a few times, but uh, the year after I retired in 2010, Brian Eiler, who is the deer biologist for um, for the state of Maryland now with DNR, he uh, he sent me a, a letter and he said, "Doug, I know you'd be interested in this." He said, uh, "We were out with the University of Delaware. We were trapping deer the other night, and we trapped a deer with one of your tags in its ear." And you had tagged it. So, some people say uh, they've heard different different uh, ages, but at that time, I had trapped it 17 years wow. prior to that as as a uh, ha, uh, a young hind, and it had been killed. Uh, well, not trapped. I'm sorry, not killed, but trapped. And it was 17 years later. And he said, I thought you'd be interested to know that. And he said, the, the other fact is it was trapped within three-quarters of a mile from where you tra- dropped the net on it, and that was up at Kerwin's Neck. And he said the most interesting thing, and I thought it was interesting too, was it was still lactating. It was it had, it was had actively. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know what's more amazing okay. about that, the fact that she was that old, or that she got, ta- that she got trapped twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, 17 years, you're going to forget about it. Yeah. So. <laughs> and that is a, a, a forgetful type thing because in that trapping study, um, for those five years that we did that uh, study, we trapped 258 seekers. And the very interesting thing is that we trapped those at seven different sites during those five years, and neither one of those 258 seekers were retrapped. Wow. And they were at the same seven sites. So, uh, so it's, it's kind of interesting. How many of the tags got turned back in from people to shot them? Uh, up to when I retired, there were 60-some tags that were turned back in. So, and So less and, than uh, half. They were, they were reward tags. I, I don't know if you can... You can zoom in on that. Uh, you can hold uh, it. Just hold it close there. Close enough. But this this is the kind of tag that that is an ear tag um, that goes that we put in the Sika's ear. Is that the one from that same hind? Uh, no, it, no, it wasn't. Uh, this is just one that I happen to have a friend a friend of mine sent this to me okay. as a retirement present <laughs> and said, "Here, I thought you'd like that That's as a cool. retirement present." But anyways. Um, this this was the uh, kind of tag that we put in. In your question, um, did no? Was, I, you said that, that you you only retrapped one out of out of all those. I was just curious how many people had shot them and turned the tags in. Sixty. And uh, yeah. now I know what I was getting ready to say. There was a twenty dollar reward for okay. the information on this. So there was an incentive for people. Uh, they could make $20 if they just give us the information. We probably would have would have uh, uh, received uh, some more information, 
but people thought they had to turn a tag in, yeah. and they didn't want to turn that bling in, like yeah. the like the bling on a on a duck or a goose. Well, it's just something like that. You yeah. want, you want to have it on on your keys yeah. or on, or on your call lanyard or anything like that. <laughs> right. So, yeah. that, right. That, that's that's a neat piece of hardware there. Yeah. Like, like uh, that's. I mean, that's definitely. Uh, that's, yeah. that, that's as much as the trophy as as the antlers are. So, <laughs> well, maybe so. But, but anyway. to a, it, it when I worked for the school board, I had a van because we had uh, South Dorchester K eight school, and I always had a pair of nippers in my truck because in the spring the mower draws yeah. cars road get run over, and I'd be riding down the road and see that little tag and <laughs> jump out of the truck, touch up, <laughs> get my tag, get back. Like, what the heck are you doing? Get my tag, uh. man. <laughs> but it was amazing where some of them came from. Oh yeah. So oh, funny. Oh funny. yeah, but so you're talking about the, the the lifespan of them. What else? What else can you say towards? So, uh, oh, I remember one question I wanted to ask you. That 17 year old hind. What what was her teeth like? I've always I've always wondered that. I wanted to ask you that. What was her? Do you well, know what her, what her teeth? Her were? teeth were completely worn. Down. Okay, that's that's what I was. And wondering. Yeah, yeah, but just, just like one would think. Yeah. Oh, completely. that's. So is that the oldest documented sick deer that we know of? No, I I think Brian actually told me there was one that was 21. Wow. That's where you might have heard the uh, number yeah. 21. That's, so, that's, uh, that's amazing. How so about stags? Are, are they comparable or did, or not as far as lifespan? Um, I, don't, I don't know if I have any statistics uh, to go along with that. Brian, Brian hadn't uh, uh, told me anything about stags as to whether – stags were that uh, right so so we don't know if there's any difference in the lifespan between the hinds and the stags i i would assume that they're they're probably uh probably similar in that um some of the reason that they live longer is simply because of where they live and the difficulty in hunting them before kaz forgets um if you want this sticker Make sure you put in the comments, I want that sticker. And, and the first one who says it gets a sticker. So, um, <laughs> Hey, I, I thought of something uh, that a lot of people ask, and I see a lot, a lot of times really, really misquoted. They want to know the antler development mm-hmm. going along with years. And, of course, of course, you got your six-month-old deer that may have a button, or you may not even see a button on the stag for a six-month-old. But once they turn a year and a half, they're spikes. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean they can't be a spike and get longer. Right. But it means they're a spike. And at two and a half years old, the majority of them start to have branch antlers. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to have automatically a six-point right. or automatically an eight, but they're going to start to branch, and sometimes you'll have the fours. You, uh, for those of you who hunt, you may see the, the the little main beams that are like seven or eight inches, and they may have the start of a uh, brow tine mm-hmm. or a G. G1, and then they may have the start or not even the start of another uh, G2 it's to funny. Uh, complete my, uh, the six. One of my friends, I can't remember, it was about three or four years ago, um, shot, it, he thought it was a four, but it ended up being just a spike, but it was a 10-inch tall spike with yes. neither, didn't have any eye guards, and neither 
neither split at right. the top at all. But it was it was. I, I think I think he wants want to say it was around ten inches. And that has to do with genetics and food and and uh, other other factors. Just just like for a whitetail, other factors uh, um, uh, take charge on that point. So to where. In fact, it's pretty neat. I've always wanted to, and I never have shot one of those, what I would call a gigantic four. Right. And they look so gigantic because they have the brow tine coming up, and then they have this large expanse of 13. I'm sure you've seen some 14-inch main beams and a brow tine, and that's it. And no split at the top. And they just look huge. Mm -hmm. Perfect example of that is in uh, in the store in Hopper's Island. Yes. They've got one yes. hanging on the back wall, and Joey and I were down there last week. Joey said, "I'd love to get one of them fours like that." <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a, a on Delmarva site last week was a a lady shot a four pointer, and his brow tines were probably three three and a half inches, and his main beams were like an inch. Yeah, right. it looked yeah, just really, like almost like yeah. a perfect wide. Yeah, like somebody turned his rack around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But if but if you looked at that, uh, some some of these big uh, spikes that we're talking about and four pointers. And the one you're talking about, those deer are probably mature deer. They're probably over, over uh, two and a half, three and a half, four and a half. Mm-hmm. They just happen. That's what the genetics did with with the growth of that antler because they. I think I saw that one, yeah. and uh, it looked like it was uh, had some fairly good mass to it. Yeah. It's just that it was um, small. Yeah, it almost looked like it was in yeah. velvet. It was still, you know, it was down in the right. brown. And then, of course, you can look at you can look at the mass really at the pedestal, and and uh, they really get big around. And of course, that's that's a mature stag, mm-hmm. no matter what's up here. Right. It's a mature step. So, so once you get past probably three or four years old, do you think is is there any continued correlations in the size of, of the of the uh, the rack there at all? I think you have to get a little, even a little bit further past that, and some probably your your best antlers are probably five and a half, six and a half. They've really gotten mature, right? And they may vary a little bit each year. Um, I've actually. We've identified some on camera that we know is the same animal, yet uh, uh, they might have the start of an eight, and then the next year... It's not there. It's not there. And then a few years later, it might it might be there and even a good size as far as eight. So it all has to do with uh, not only genetics, but food and habitat and... It can gain a lot in one year or two. Age. Oh yeah, they really can. They can blow up just like a white tail. I, I shot a six early, like September twenty fifth this year, and uh, I have some pictures of him in last year, and he's nowhere near. So I was the same deer, right? You can tell, but but right. now, do you think do you think that's more because of diet, or do you think that's more genetics and just just him coming of age? Do you I think? Don't know. Don't know. No, but. Those corn has anything to do with it. I, I think, <laughs> All dies in twelve pointers. I think that has more to do with it. <laughs> the, the, the diet, you think the diet does? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, I, I seem to agree with you. But but genetics, like you said, has a big part in in the predisposition of it. But the diet yes. really amplifies it. The I think. diet, the diet can change it back and forth. And I know a lot of people are starting to um, go to protein pellets yeah. and using a lot of protein, especially in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And I, I really do think that has uh, an effect on, on antler size, of course, on body size, oh, too. Yeah. But, but uh, providing them with protein, 
um, from from March through July or August, and then coming back on corn. Uh, plus, a lot of a lot of people now are buying property and managing for Zika's. And where you can manage for Zika's by utilizing uh, food plots and different plants in food plots along with the corn and along with the the, uh, pellets and everything. I've said for a long time when the the Zika deer got on the other side of Route 50, up around Vienna, Rosedale and all, some of the biggest deer that have ever been shot. On, right. on the eastern shore, have been shot right up from that area. Right. And you got gazillions of swamp oaks, and it's all fresh water. Yeah. And there's crops available to them. And exactly. You're going to get some bigger deer, and they are. They're getting some big deer up around Vienna. That, that was going to be my next question is how much do you think that the higher ground does to to affect their size of the, the deer and, and the rack? Well, I think it, it puts them in a place where they get uh, some different types of food, and mm-hmm. that higher ground is capable of producing food plots that you don't right. have in the marsh. That definitely gives and, them more nutrition. You know, so so you, you have, uh, they have more uh, to feed on that can have to do with that antler size and body size. Good. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of the... Uh, the record deer that we're measuring now up in the 70s, 74, 75, 76, 77, uh, a lot of those uh, super nice deer are Wacomico deer. That's uh, what I was just about to say. Yep. Coming off of and, farms. Yep. And they're also uh, deer that are are north of, north of 50, yep. and they're getting more into farm country. They still love the wetlands, but they're the uh, flooded uh, forested yep. wetlands and not necessarily not necessarily that that pure marsh right i was i was literally just about yeah. to say that I've, I've noticed over the past probably three or four years if you look on on the delmarva sicka site all of your bigger sickas seem to come from Wacomico county now it's i mean we're still the dorchester is definitely still the heart of sicka country but, right. if you, but if you want those monsters, they seem to be coming from a comico here lately. And it and it just happens happens to be that way. And I I, I know of uh, the the marshes aren't as expansive as they go down the Nanacoke. and I think there's a lot more interaction uh, and properties that go along there that have more upland associated with uh, and the water, marshland. Water's fresher right. too. Water's fresher. Get fresh water plants. And I, th- I think that all has to do with bigger bodies, bigger animals. It's, it's definitely 100% noticeable in, okay. in the size of the deer when you look at the pictures over the years. The more right. they have spread into that, like you said, the fresher waters and, and the higher ground, it's definitely changing their body types and the styles right. and everything. Yeah. It's it, it's 100% played a part in their genetics. Exactly. So. Eight, eight points is the biggest that I've ever seen. I've never seen one. I've seen pictures of. Is anybody ever... Do you know I've ever shot one bigger than that? I've never, never heard of one. And of course, um, we ran checking stations for all those years before we, before we stopped actually operating checking stations. We still, we still had to get a quota of animals, and we did that by going to uh, uh, coolers, freezers, taxidermists, places like that that we could actually put hands on the deer. And in all of those, I've never seen more than an eight. I've been an official measurer for years and years and years and have never laid my hands on more than an eight. And those, you know, it's always, always ask about, uh, and I said this before, about uh, the length of the main beam. 
And there were all the time people, you know, sort of like fish, probably like has over there. <laughs> that, <laughs> that uh, it, you know, that snake, that snake head was was this right. big, and uh, it's the same sometimes where where people, you know, it, the angle it's of the picture a little bit bigger, or especially now with the angle of the picture, mm-hmm. um, that that can uh, change that size. And the point I was getting ready to make is I have officially measured only two. Sikas that have had 16-inch main beam. Wow. That's Bo- a big Both year. of them were over 16 inches, but that's that's a that's a big long stag. main beam. It's going to be Kaz's new uh, Facebook profile. <laughs> 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 oh, that's funny. <laughs> so how, how many eights have you seen over the years? Because I know, I know a lot of people uh, probably up until about five or six years ago really treated eights like they were just a myth. I mean, you'd hear about them almost like like in whispers in the shadows, but but they've been around for a and, while. And still they've been around, and still they're sort of a myth. But, uh, of course, in measuring, a, tr- a true eight would be a point is considered only a point if it's an inch long. Okay. And I think a lot, a lot of people in calling something an eight, and I probably did it myself as far as seek a deer go, uh, if, if, it, if it had a point coming out, Right. That and it may not have been an inch long. Everyone called it an eight. Yeah, you're gonna but, give it a little bit of leeway there. But to answer answer your question, um, I've I've probably only only seen less than ten. Yeah, that's, I was about to say probably a handful. Yeah. And that that's a lot of years. That's, oh yeah, that's forty, fifty some years. That's crazy. So so uh, eights eights aren't uh, aren't a dime a dozen. No, <laughs> absolutely sure. not. <laughs> you know, it's it's well, it's just like you said. 15 inches you know it's or it's the same way with uh with that inch might look like an inch but an inch is an inch right right but, so one, one of the questions we had was people talk about subspecies of the sika do we have different subspecies here or is it all the same or, or? there are different subspecies but the subspecies that are talked about are the subspecies that occur through the world right and there, there have been reported about 14 subspecies. But what I've seen recently on some of the sites are, are some people that are suggesting that the Assateague Sika is different than the Dorchester Sika. And, and uh, it's according to all DNR records, it's not. They all came from the same. Oh, from James Allen. Same guy that was associated with it, Clement Henry, mm-hmm. a man that lived in Cambridge, Clement Henry, and and uh, the six. It was a founder uh, population of six deer, and he he released them, and they were released on James Island, and of course uh, they came across. I have an interesting story about that. Yeah, if absolutely. We have time. Oh, we we've got time. Um, there. The story goes on, and for all of these years that I've been telling the history and how a man in Berlin, Dr. Charles Laws, bought some Sika deer from a man in Cambridge that we supposed was was uh, Clement Henry. Uh, we knew about that, and we knew, uh, we had heard that this man, Dr. Charles Laws, had them, 
and somehow Ocean City got associated with uh, Charles Laws and with those deer, and then um, associated with that is how did they get on Assateague Island, and one of the stories was that the Boy Scouts released them on, on Assateague Island, and could never, you know, there there weren't investigative reporters, and I right. guess that would be pretty interesting, but there weren't investigative <clears throat> reporters to say, you know, did Boy Scouts really release them <laughs> in the 1920s on Assateague Island? Well, I don't know where I read it, but within the last six months, someone posted, and it seemed like a logical post with some background information, but this this person had read a story where there was an interview, and it even named a a uh, Boy Scout by the name of last name Mumford, and it turns out this interview in 1992 with this Mumford fella who was a Boy Scout in that area, and it said. And here was the story. It's it's like uh, uh, who was the guy that said, and now the rest of the story. Paul Harvey. Oh, Paul, Paul Harvey. <laughs> well, here here is here's the first time I've heard anything that that would lend any credence to the Boy Scouts releasing them, and that was this Boy Scout told the story that they, as a Boy Scout troop, had bought some Sika deer, and put them in a corral underneath um, a pier at Ocean City, and they were charging people a fee to come and look at these wild sika deer. And people would do that, and he tells the story that the objective of that was for the Boy Scouts to make, it, make enough money that they could go on a troop Boy Scout trip. How about that? They went on this troop Boy Scout trip. When they came back, Ocean City uh, season was over, and the Boy Scout troop found out that they couldn't they couldn't uh, fund the cost of feeding these sika deer anymore. So, the Boy Scout troop took these deer and released them into the wild at Assateague. That's, that? that's basically what I'd heard. And I heard, and I wish I knew where that story came from. It's not my, please, anyone, it's not my story. I didn't make it up. Right. But it's not my story. Whoever posted that, thanks. It was, it was, if that's a true story, that really pulls together the thing about Boy Scouts released them on acetate. Con- connects the dots for everybody. Yeah. So. yeah. Kind of yeah. neat. It made me smile. Oh, yeah. That's exactly <laughs> right. And it's, it's been so long, these Boy Scouts are old man, now. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But that's it's, right. it's funny because, like you said, they're the same deer from Dorchester County, but just over the years through the different diet and the different landscape and, and that's that cool. ocean water instead of the, the marsh water right. or the fresh water in the north part of the county. It the, just changed the Darwin yeah. effect. Yeah, exactly right. They, they, they always, they always, wetlands were always a part of wherever those deer were. And um, whether it be the wetlands at Assateague mm-hmm. or the wetlands in Dorchester 
were the wetlands in Sussex County as the deer made their way up. They sort of stayed associated with the river systems mm-hmm. going up into Sussex County and stuff. And even where they moved in Somerset County, they stayed in association with that. It's kind but of like, it, like pigs. Yeah. 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 If they don't have water, they're not happy. But if you read this, read the story that I wrote about Yakushima Island, it seems totally, totally wrong that our subspecies could be the Yakushima subspecies because when you read about the island, this is a six thousand two hundred foot elevation island, and it had the most rainfall of any Japanese island that there were. And you wonder, well, these these deer are living in the mountains and right. stuff. And where are the mountains in Dorchester County and stuff? <laughs> but the thing... You, you might have had Bueller for that. <laughs> but the thing that's par, part and parcel of all of that, whether they were 6,200 feet or whether they were in Dorchester County, part and parcel to all of that that were that there were wetlands there, and those deer, that's why I used to say they like to keep their feet wet. Yeah. Not because they technically like to keep their feet wet, but that was the type of habitat Let's them hide. they yeah. liked. It's, it's funny because, I mean, this, the sick of deer, they're, 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 they're an Asian, originate, originated from the Asian area. Same with the snakeheads, too. And, and it's, it's funny how those Asian species have come to Dorchester and really thrived here. Phragmitis? Yeah, it's say, yeah exactly. It's the Asian invasion, man. Yeah. <laughs> if Kaz was here, I'd ask him, do snakeheads like to keep their feet wet? <laughs> well, I'd get their fins wet. Yeah, that's, that's right. It, well, I mean, it, I mean, you make the joke there, yeah. but, but I mean, they really, they move when it's in monsoon. I mean, it, that's right? how they spread in Asia was during monsoon season. And yeah. they do the same thing here when you get a heavy rain. When it's, I mean, that's that's how they really spread throughout to the different and, and rivers they, and stuff. And, I mean, the sicker deer are in very shallow, mm-hmm. sure, but wet areas and and the snakeheads are not much different. They're no. in six five six inches of water, and especially when it's hot outside because mm-hmm. when they're spawning because there's no predators, there's nothing in there unless it's right. a, outside the water that's gonna gonna mess with them. Right. Well, I have a friend that rides a bicycle back one of the roads to get to his sicker hunting area, and. Uh, and he was telling me if there was a lot of water running over the road, and he had to stop his bicycle, and he watched two or, two or three snakeheads go, oh, go yeah, over yeah. the road. That's a, that's a common occurrence when, yeah. when you get a real high tide down here. Right. But, um, if you don't mind, we've got a couple of questions here. We can rapid fire before we'll we... will give it a try. Okay, let's see. Um, no gotcha questions. No, no gotchas. Okay. No gotchas. <laughs> um, one person wants to know, what's the difference between a regular mew and a mew in estrus, if there is any difference? Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes people have talked about a mu and asterisk, and the only the only thing I could uh, say to that was that it seems like uh, the mu and asterisk seems to be drawn out a lot whinier uh, than just a regular mu. So okay, um, I mean, I don't, that makes I don't sense. know if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. I, I, could, I uh, could probably uh, make some sort of a sound here. Yeah, definitely give it a shot. That way you can really explain the difference there. People can hear the difference. Let me try to use one of these little ones that won't make a lot of noise. This is something I'm experimenting with. It's a secret, so I can't let you see it. <laughs> <laughs> Prototype. Let, let me try to make a mew here, and then I'll then I'll make some mews that I think are in asterisk. 
There you go. So those are typical mews and then some of those drawn out ones. And the only reason I say an asterisk is because, like you, you've probably sitting, been sitting above a frag stand or something, and you can catch you you hear them splish splashing, and the stags are chasing. Oh yeah, and you can hear you can hear the uh, the hinds making these mews, and uh, and they're running, and the stags chasing right behind, and I think uh, I hear more. And you might you might say, nah, I don't, or I do, but I think I hear more of that long drawn out whiny mew. Whenever they're being chased, generally in the rut is the only time I heard, hear the long use. Yep. Usually, yeah. any other time they're just they're, they're very short. Right. You know. Right. They're just, just a little. And it's generally like a young one will be calling, and the mother will answer, or they're right. just communicating. Right. Exactly. Just like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So the next question I got here is um, coyotes. Um, what do you think the coyotes have done as far as this, uh, affecting the secu population? You know, I don't have any of the data to uh, to get from someone that would collect data, uh, maybe like Blackwater, um, that that may have data on that type of thing. But I would certainly, <laughs> certainly, coyotes are are a predator of cicas, and uh, the cicas are so small when they're young, especially. Mm-hmm that it is extremely e- easy for a, a coyote to uh, nab a seeker. Maybe not as easy a full-grown seeker or anything like that, but when you're talking about the uh, the little, what we used to call one-handers, the 10-pounders, 15-pounders, 20-pounders. Well, yeah. Size of a big raccoon. Yeah, exactly. Easy. Easy. And I, I think, I think uh, there it's definitely taking a toll, how much of a toll, um, I don't. It's I don't hard know. to tell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably has a little bit to do with how many coyotes they. I don't know if they have a count of or any idea how many there are. Yeah, I'm not sure. That that'd be a really good question to and ask. I, I haven't talked to Marsha. They they may be doing some sort of uh, some sort of research right. uh, with, with trying to find out coyote populations. I don't know. Have you ever seen a, an interbred of sicka and whitetail? No. Definitely not. I don't think it. I don't think it is able to happen. Uh, people have said they they have, but uh, I think it's impossible. Um, what are your thoughts on the habitat habitat deterioration due to saltwater intrusion? Well, it has it has certainly um, caused some habitat deterioration, but the. Um, and, and I'm not sure there again if um, there's any data um, at Blackwater to say whether their Sika population is increasing or decreasing. Right. But uh, it it may not uh, it may be not be making a difference if the population is increasing. Of course, it's accessibility. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And of course, uh, the other the other thing you have to think about is, uh, what what that causes, or what something like a like a like a nutria cause could um, make habitat make a different type of habitat right. to where you're having maybe some submerged aquatics that are growing now in place where that didn't, and if 
if uh, submerged aquatics do happen to be growing um, where they weren't before, those Sika certainly certainly will uh, dunk ahead to get into submerged aquatics. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen some of the some of the flats and uh, have seen some of the Sikas walking along there uh, with their head in the water. And uh, that's that's what they're after. They're eating submerged aquatics. Back in the Blackwater, there's some large stands of trees that a few years ago were green. Exactly. And now it's just, it's, I, I remember when Marsh and I went back there, I was showing her one particular spot, and it's huge. I mean, it's thousands of trees. And she's wow. <laughs> yeah, so elevation is directly related to devastation. Oh yeah, yeah. It is, you know, it's a, a couple inches is is. Maybe, I mean, you're talking about right. Dorchester County. Eighty percent of Dorchester County is two feet above sea level. Two inches right. is a big deal. And I'm I'm definitely not going to tell the story. But uh, a friend and I we used to hunt at a particular property twenty years ago, here in Dorchester. And he called me up one time and said. Let's have a reunion hunt. You and I, the two old guides there and stuff, let's have a reunion hunt and go back and hunt that area. So we went back to that area, and we scouted and walked all the way back to that favored area that we used to hunt. We couldn't find a tree to climb up. How about that? Because Isn't that amazing? They were gone. Yeah, we we have just one little <clears throat> island on, on one of the properties that I hunt, and... Five years ago, it was probably acre and a half, and there's like 15 trees left alive on it, right. and only like 20, probably 20 to the full trees standing. Just, right. Last question. This one's actually from Kaz himself. Uh oh. So um, he wants Kaz wants to know: Do sickas lose their horns every every year, just like whitetail do? Yes. Plain and simple. That's an easy one. That was, that was plain and simple. That's right. Well, we're running at an hour here now, guys, I think. So, Gary, you got any one more or anything like that? No, I'm, I'm sorry. This has been great. This has been an excellent episode. Doug, do you think there's anything else you want to cover? You have three or four more hours? <laughs> <laughs> we could definitely sit here <laughs> and talk talk for that long, for sure. There's always more stuff to go over. I will, it, I will give you this one more. Kaz asked me to show you that picture. That's nice. That's that's, that, a, nice that's a true eight pointer. Yeah. It looks like uh, those those uh, those G threes are definitely an inch long. It looks yeah. like he's uh, he disappeared. Yeah, had him on camera for three or four years, and he's just I don't know where he went mm. or he's or he's fell back one or the other. But maybe, maybe yeah. he's not see him anymore. Yeah. That's a shame. Found a better place to hide. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well. Doug, we certainly thank you for coming on this week, man. It's been a great show. We appreciate you coming down. It's been awesome. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. Yep. Um, Invite me back. Yeah, I, oh, yeah. We, we'll we'll definitely take, have you we back. We can take up some of these other. Uh, <laughs> That's right. We didn't even get to all your talking points. Yeah. But, but no, we will definitely have you back on for sure. It's been all a right. great, great show. And I miss Kaz. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We all, well, we still, we've got Kaz Jr. over here. Oh, so, a Kaz fish. Yeah. <laughs> My my wife asked Some me what we, my wife asked me what we would eat tonight, and I said I know Kaz will give me a, a bushel of oysters, and and he'll have <laughs> he'll have some of those real real heavy <laughs> doggone crabs and and everything. Now, I have to stop at the food line on the way back. Get <laughs> cheese taken downstairs. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we, we, we can take care of your food. Downstairs. You don't have to worry about that. All right. All right. <laughs> well, guys, I have to apologize. Kaz isn't here to sing this week. So, um, Kaz, you you, you want to sing for us real quick? 
No, it's okay. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.